title for you this Advent Sunday is A Peace That Surpasses Understanding. A Peace That Surpasses Understanding. Let me begin this morning by asking you a question. Church, how do we find peace in a time like this? We have wars and rumors of wars. There is pestilence and disease. There is controversy. There is the spirit of Antichrist in the world. There are worldviews that are challenging even the most mundane and fundamental principles that we have believed from the inception and the beginning of humankind. How do we find peace in a time like this? And what's more, how would we even know that we had it if we were to find it. Of course, we can go through the dictionary, for example, and find a definition. I've got one here for you on the screen. If we were to look it up in Merriam-Webster's dictionary, we would see peace, noun, first definition, freedom from disturbance or tranquility. Two, a state or period in which There is no war. Well, technically, by that definition, no one in this world has peace. But we quickly find out, even though we can find the word peace in the dictionary, that a traditional or common definition isn't helpful at all. Because if we were to go by the definition of the dictionary, when we look up peace, then we could deduce right here, right now, it doesn't matter how many degrees you hold or how much education you possess. Technically speaking, no one in this room has a right to peace. And this isn't God's definition. This is Merriam-Webster's definition. So my question for you again is this. How are we to find peace today? The truth is, even Jesus said, Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, don't think that I've come to bring you peace. I haven't come to bring you peace. I came to bring a sword. And what do swords do? Well, you say, Joe, they kill people. Well, that's not the metaphor that he's using here. Swords divide. Swords divide limb from body. And the issue here that Jesus is presenting, as we've already read from John chapter 14, is not that he didn't come to bring peace. We learn from John chapter 14 that he, in fact, did come to bring peace, but not to everybody, certainly not to the world. Jesus came to bring peace to his people, to his father's people. So when we say, well, when are we ever going to have peace? Uh, That depends on your definition of peace. If you go by the world's definition of peace, if you go by the definition that's found in the dictionary, church, say amen if you're listening, you're not going to get it. You will never possess it. Because the definition that the dictionary offers you for peace is canceled out by idiot politicians and sin. You will not have peace in this life. But Jesus says to his people, not only am I giving you peace, but he says, I'm giving you my peace. 
Which is to say, like Ralph Waldo Emerson said in his essay on gifts, the only true gift is a portion of thyself. You can go to Amazon, you can run down the street to Best Buy and buy something for somebody off of a shelf and give it to them and they can appreciate it. But you know what really matters is when you spend time making something for someone, writing something for someone. You know, in October was Pastor Appreciation Month and and the Vassal girls wrote some of the most thoughtful, I should include Jimmy in this, Is he here? He's in children's church? Okay, he won't mind. (laughs) The Vassal girls wrote me some of the most thoughtful, considerate things that anyone has ever written me. It touched me. It was very moving. And I have a box in which I keep certain cards. I don't keep the cards that say, you know, the name. I don't have space for that, but there are certain cards I keep, and those cards are keepers. You know why? Because they gave me a gift of their consideration. They gave me a gift of themselves. Now, all gifts are appreciated. All gifts are valued. But when someone thinks about the gift that they give you, it makes the gift even more meaningful. And Jesus here is not saying, I searched far and wide, and I got this. It has nothing to do with me whatsoever, but I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. He says, I'm not only giving you peace. He says, I'm giving you whose peace? I'm giving you my peace. And his peace is not compromised because he says in John chapter 14, my relationship with the Father is intact. But he does say, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. So what I want to discuss this morning under this idea of peace in this place, this church, is this. Although Jesus came to bring a sword and not peace, in general, specifically, that is not true for his people. He came to separate his people from the world. That would be the sword. But Jesus does have a gift of peace for his people. We live in the midst of a people who have become so accustomed to restlessness and dissatisfaction that I don't think it's possible for them to know peace. And their periodic struggles simply reveal to them and to everyone around them, that peace in this life, in this world, is not attainable. So let me turn a corner and share with you three points that I think are important for you to get this morning under this idea of Christ bringing us the gift of peace during his first advent. My first point for you this morning is this. God's peace is found In Jesus. Close the Bible, we're done. Just kidding. God's peace is found in Jesus. Now I want you to take a breath and say this with me. God's peace is found in Jesus. This is the first point. It is the most important point. God's peace is found in Jesus. And this might seem incredibly practical, but it's an overlooked truth. 
It doesn't matter how hard you look for something if it doesn't exist in the place in which you're looking. Let me illustrate this. This week I was looking for the Gorilla Glue. And I was looking. And I was looking hard. Not only was I looking hard, Kenny, but I was looking in incredibly smart places. I was good. I bet you it's there. But guess how much Gorilla Glue I found? None! It doesn't matter how ingenious my idea is about where that Gorilla Glue might be if the Gorilla Glue is not there. Church, this is what we're doing with peace. We have people looking for peace everywhere, and it doesn't matter how creative they are about the, uh, the areas in which they're looking for it because peace is only found in Jesus. It's only found in Jesus. And listen, we've looked for it in a lot of places. Some people drink excessively to find peace. They're convinced that if they continue drinking to the bottom of the bottle or they drink excessively, at the conclusion of their inebriation, they will find peace. But sobriety soon follows. Some people take prescription medication. In their minds, Prescriptions will bring them peace. Now, prescription medication today is distributed like candy. We have become a society dependent upon the pharmaceutical industry. But it has no peace. There are a lot of options out there for you. You can take Paxil, Lovax, Ciprolax. These things are available to you. You can get it in 5, 10, 20 milligrams, whatever the proper dosage is for you, and they'll ease you on, and then as you acclimate, they'll bump you. But these pills will only take care of the symptoms of your actual problem. Now, I'm not against medication. It's important to say that. But I am against medication dealing with symptoms so that you can avoid your reality. Prescriptions might change how you feel, but prescriptions will not give you peace. Some people use drugs. Now, this is an easy one. All you have to do is turn on the news, look around the country, look in the streets. We have people who are living under the bridge on US-1 over here, and they walk out and come and go. They're happy there because they refuse to have responsibilities due to the fact that their only joy in life is their use of drugs. And they really aren't interested in making more money than they need to for that rock. But they don't have peace. Church, there is no peace to be found outside of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 16, verse 33. John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus says this after a long conversation with his disciples. He says, I have said these things to you that in me. Where? In me. You may have 
peace. Not prosperity, not riches and wealth, not health, but what? Peace. Jesus is saying this to us, and not only is he saying to us two chapters after the same conversation in John chapter 14, same conversation, this is a long conversation. In John chapter 16, he says, I'm going to bring up this issue of peace again and remind you so that you don't go look for it someplace else where you're not going to find it. If you want peace, it will only be found location in me. The New Testament does this a lot. I love it. It's one of the things that I love about the New Testament. It is preposition obsessed. If you're looking for something, Paul says, it is in Christ. In whom? In him. Jesus here says, I have said these things to you so that you will know peace is found where? In me. Listen, this is rudimentary, but this is the first and most important point that you must absorb and accept if you would have peace in your life. God's peace is found in Jesus. It's not found anywhere else. It's not found anywhere else because there will never be an absence of war. There will never be an absence of conflict. You are a sinner living in a sinful world, and if you want God's peace, you're only going to find it. In whom? In Jesus. Secondly, Let's say that you have accepted Christ as Lord, acknowledged that you are a sinner. You have humbled yourself before him and said, you're right, I'm wrong. I'm placing my faith in you as my Savior, and I'm going to live with you the rest of my days. That's what it means to become a Christian. That's your confession. After the confession comes the life. That leads us to our second point, and that is this. God's peace is fostered by his word and prayer. God's peace is fostered by his word and prayer. Church, listen, this is important. While God's peace is something that is found in Jesus, peace for our minds, peace for our consciences, peace for our souls, that doesn't mean that God's peace maintains the same level every single day. Say amen. Uh, If you've walked with Jesus for a while, you know this is the truth. There are some days when the peace of God is just present with you. You know his peace. You could go through a high or a low, and you are experientially knowing that God's peace is present with you. It has a calming effect, a comforting effect. And there are other days where things are going right, and there is absolutely no peace at all, and you're going, what gives? Where is God's peace? I don't sense God's peace. Now, there are some points to discuss when it comes to that matter but what i want you to hear right now is this we go up against temptation and it robs us of our peace we go up against sin and it robs us of our peace we experience stress i'm going to say this twice we experience stress and stress robs us of our peace we experience Financial troubles, an argument with our spouse, a difficulty with our children. We do poorly on a test at school. We get in a car accident. These things can rob us of our peace. And sometimes all that happens, it's just Wednesday.
The only way to maintain and sustain God's peace, which is available to you in Jesus, is through his word and prayer. Let me break this down for you. First, his word reminds us of what truly matters. That's why this is so important. God's word reminds us of what truly matters. Now, left on your own, you will devise what truly matters. You will conjure up what really matters. And what really matters to you today will be different if you're 20 years old to what will really matter to you when you're 46 years old and married for 25 years with two teenagers. And then if you get to Walt and Betsy's age, 92 years old, what matters to you then will be different than if you're 46. The reality of the matter is your circumstances will change. The scenarios in which your life exists will change. But God's word tells you what matters and what should be the most important thing at all times and in all seasons. The people and things that we encounter in our lives, not to mention our own voices in our own heads, amen? These things tell us what is important, but we cannot listen to them. We must listen to God's word. Listen to what Psalm 119 165 says, and that is correct. Psalm 119, verse 165, longest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119, verse 165 says, great peace. What kind of peace? Great Great peace. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. The New Living Translation puts that verse like this. Those who love your instructions have great peace. You know who has great peace, church? Those who have found their peace in Jesus and who meditate on his word. Because the word instructs them between what is right and wrong, what is good and bad, And the issues that everyone faces in this life, they face too, but they face it with a different perspective. They face it with a worldview that has been baptized by the law of the Lord. So they can say, oh, I see all the trouble over there, but I'm not worried about it. God's got that taken care of. Oh, I see what the the issue is over here with this person's life, but that's not happening in my life. You know why I have peace? Because God's word told me how not to do it. I did it the way God's word told me to do it, and therefore I have peace, and they have conflict. This is not science. If it was, I couldn't do it. I'm not that smart. There are people in your life who will never have a peaceful life because they will never do it God's way. It doesn't matter if they come to church. You've been praying for them to come to church. They come to church. I preach. We play music. They cry. They leave. That doesn't mean anything. Tears have never fixed a single thing, and neither has time. Time is a framework in which God does his work, but time does not know you. God knows you. Well, time heals all wounds. Time has never healed a thing. 
The reason Christians have peace is because they foster the peace of God in their lives, first of all, by the word. And the word tells them what's important, where to step and when, what God desires for their life, and they follow in obedience. Consequence, peace. Now, you have free agency. You can go out there and do whatever you want, and you can reap the benefits too. But don't go out there and live like hell and do whatever it is that you want, whatever you want, with whomever you want, and then go, I just don't know where God's peace is in my life. Nobody's that stupid, friend. The decisions you make have consequences. Your parents have been telling you this for years. Just because your mentality hasn't changed at 36 doesn't mean the truth is different. If you follow the word of God, you will have peace. Great peace. That's what the scripture says. Not just kind of peace. A resemblance of peace. Something Something that reminds you of peace. No, great peace. Have those who love his law. But that's not all. If we want peace, we want to maintain and foster peace in our life, we we need to not only heed his word, we also need to pray, church. Peace is also fostered, not only by God's word, but by prayer. This is our second thought under this point Prayer keeps us intimately connected to the source of our peace. When we neglect prayer, we drift from God. And when we drift from God, we're drifting from the source of our peace. Let me say this again. You need to understand this picture. When we neglect prayer, we are drifting from God. And if we're drifting from God, we are drifting from our one source of peace. There is a positive correlation between our prayer lives and our peace. This is exactly what Paul means when he says this, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, I think this is probably being overplayed in today's society, but everyone has an anxiety disorder today. The fact that I just mentioned it just made some of you anxious. Oh my gosh, is he talking to me? Somebody told him about me, didn't he? Everyone has GAD, general anxiety disorder. If you have anxiety to such an extent that you start sweating before an event or every single occasion is preceded by an argument, a breakdown, whatever the case is, your life is not orientated properly. Now, if I made you anxious by saying that, let me say it differently. If your life always has anxiety before an event. Your life is not orientated properly. And there are a plethora of reasons 
while you can be struggling with anxiety. But what God's word is telling us is that we shouldn't be anxious. Now, this does not mean that we should never have anxiety ever. That's foolishness. I get anxious just trying to get across US 1 and Caribbean here. You know what I mean? That light is short. I got people standing around me, people crisscrossing lanes. I start praying in tongues. The issue is not one of complete absence of anxiety. We're speaking in just general terms here, right, church? Amen if you're listening. Listen, you need to hear this. If your life is fostering the peace of God by his word and prayer, your anxiety level should drop. Because God's word is telling you he is in control, and your prayer life is telling you he is with you. Listen again to what Paul says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and then the peace of God. Whose peace is it? It's God's peace. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul is not saying that the reasons you become anxious will cease to exist. What Paul is saying is that when you pray, God will protect your heart from anxiety, which is caused by those things that still exist. In fact, the word guard there is the same word to to describe Roman guards protecting something that's important. God's, it says, uh, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind. In other words, your heart and mind will have the peace of God around it to protect it from the world, from the cares, from the anxiety, from whatever. Why? Because you've prayed. Instead of focusing on that thing, you've prayed. And prayer connects you to the source of your peace. And if you're wondering, can I do one of these without the other and still have God's peace in my life? The answer is What's the answer? No! No, you cannot do one of these and still have peace. You cannot do one without the other. You have to do both. Let me explain to you why. Perhaps you know Christ in your heart. He's your Savior, the one in whom you've placed your faith and through whom God has regenerated you and made you new. But your head is as empty as a vase. Then you need to spend time in God's Word. On the flip side, perhaps you know Christ with your head. He's your Savior, the one in whom you've placed your faith, the one by whom God has regenerated you and given you life. But your heart is cold and dispassionate and distant, and your affection for God is low, well, then you need time in prayer. In either case, church, God's peace, which you have in Jesus, is fostered 
by two things that are both necessary, his word and prayer. Prayer and his word. You must be soaking in the word of God and spending time in faithful fellowship, which we call prayer with God. Your head and your heart will experience the peace of God in these seasons. And this leads to my last point. God's peace is finalized in the end. Now for this, I'd like to invite you to turn to the book of Revelation. This is the last book of the Bible, and we're going to be almost in the last chapter. There are 22 chapters, and what I want to invite you to is 21. Revelation chapter 21. We're going to look at this text for our final point. God's peace is finalized in the end. Now, first of all, we've learned so far from the text that God's peace is found in Jesus. Those of us who are in Christ have God's peace, but we must foster that peace by the means of his word and prayer. And regardless of what we might go through in life, this is an important point for us to remember. Our peace, God's peace to us, will be finalized in the end. Read with your eyes as I read aloud. Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore because the former things have passed away. Church, in the end, we read a vision of the new heavens and the new earth penned by the Apostle John, and the word peace is not contained in this text, but this sounds like there's a lot of peace to me. In the end, church, God will finalize peace for us. Now, some of you are parents with prodigal children here. You have God's peace in your life, but your life isn't perfect peace. Some of you are young people, and you've trusted Jesus, but your parents haven't trusted Jesus, or maybe one of your parents hasn't trusted Jesus. And, and though you have God's peace in your life, you don't have complete peace because you really wish your dad or your mom would trust Jesus or come to church with you as a family. 
Some of you are here today and you've repented of your sin. You've accepted Jesus as your Savior. You are praising him, but you are still dealing with some of the consequences of the decisions that you made before Jesus. Because God doesn't always erase our consequences, even though he forgives us in total. And some of those consequences, they check your peace. They challenge your peace. And as a result of that, although you have God's peace and you are fostering it through his word and prayer, you still have those daily struggles. Sometimes I, I liken it to, you know, when you're in Publix and you turn into aisle 13. Nobody knows what aisle 13 is anymore because they keep moving the aisles on me. I can't find the bread. Babe! Which aisle is the bread in? But you turn the corner and it's somebody that you knew 15 years ago. And they go, hey, what's up? And you go, no, and you turn the cart and you go to aisle 14 because you don't want to be reminded of who you were back then. God's given you a new life. But every now and then God orchestrates little meetings like that so he can say, you see where I brought you out of? You see what I saved you from, fool? You see where you could be instead of where you are because of me? We have a lot of things going for us in our lives because of the gifts that Jesus brought us during the first advent. But we are not going to have a perfect life before the end. Nevertheless, may we never forget that there is a new heavens and a new earth prepared for us. And God is going to do something so amazing, apparently it's going to bring us to tears. Now, whether we're crying over those that were lost or the past or the overwhelming magnitude of it all is not really, I don't think, what's important. I think what's important is, although we're crying it says here in the text, verse 4, God himself will wipe the tears from our eyes. And after that incredible moment, the scripture says, and then there shall be no more crying. Church, there is a peace awaiting us much like the peace that we have now, only perfect. But it's not waiting for everybody. It's waiting for those who have placed their faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. And we have a lot of challenges, you and me. We have a lot of difficulties as we walk this track of discipleship, as we try to put our feet in the footsteps of Jesus. Sometimes we trip and we stumble and we fall. Amen? I'm reminded of what the psalm says, Psalm 38. A righteous man falls seven times but gets back up again because the Lord holds his hand. We're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Well, I'll tell you, you're not perfect either. I'll relieve you of that burden immediately. 
None of us is perfect, but we are forgiven, and we strive to live the Christ-like life that God has called us to. And in doing so, we have God's peace, but that peace is compromised by so many different things. But may we never forget in the midst of the struggle that there is a peace coming, church, and it will be finalized, and it will be perfected, and nothing and no one will ever compromise it. No one and nothing will ever compromise it in glory. I love what it says in verse 5. He who was seated on the throne. That phrase, seated on the throne, the vernacular is the boss. This is God's world. And the one who was in charge, that's what John is saying, the one who is in charge, he said, I'm making everything new. I'm making everything new. And in that new world, friends, there is peace. To close, let me say this. We could very easily look up the definition of peace in Merriam-Webster's dictionary, but that is not the peace we're looking for. The peace that our souls require will never be provided to us via the circumstances of the world. The peace that our souls need is the rest that Augustine talked about when he said in his autobiography, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. 